I was amazed, really, in a way. I mean, it, I suppose people have always made up stories about, you know, and set them in the Holocaust, but it has the ring of truth, almost. And there are well-documented stories of love affairs, at least one that I've recently covered, between, between um, a, in this particular case, a woman, well, it's going to be a woman, isn't it? A woman prisoner and a male uh, guard or, or actual camp commandant. I mean, that, that's happened, and lives have been saved. But your, your story's much more intricate, and I'm not just... I think there's, so, there's something more that you're trying to, to, to tell us here, isn't there? So can you just explain, perhaps you should just very... Your, the setup from your point of view and why you chose to place this story of these two women, and I think vulnerable women, and in one case, steely, um, yeah. in, in this context... I think it's uh, about choice and what we choose to do when we're pushed um, and how far we can go and what humans are capable of, good and bad, um, and how much other human beings can push, how much human beings can turn other human beings nasty or evil or what we can do to each other when pushed in order to survive and how that transforms societies and generations and how easily we accept that as audience members or as people researching or how hard we accept it and why is it hard and why is it or why is it easy to accept so I wanted people to question themselves and to hopefully to try and understand where humans can go to good and evil but is um, it yeah i mean do you think then that it's more than just a question of survival for isabella the dancer or or do you, i mean to me there seems to be a power struggle all the time and you would expect the wife of the camp commandant to win it but she doesn't but that's something to do with her makeup i think but you yeah. but you've but they're your creation so you've waited it that way haven't you yeah um, I think it is more about survival with Isabella. I think um, it's about wanting to just feel normal and wanting to just feel human um, and wanting... Um, when I was researching, lots of survivors said how when they had left the camps and they were liberated, that they didn't start to feel human until um, someone said please or thank you to them or, or asked them a question. Or held the door open for them or even touched them and uh, that is when they started to remember that they were no longer a vessel that was ordered around that they were actually a human and I think I wanted Isabella that was part of the reason Isabella went where she was because she suddenly had another human connecting to her not in an ordinary way at all but in a way that made her feel like she was alive and that there were possibilities um and that she was worth something. Um, so I think a lot of what she did or chose to do was driven by that, by driven by just making sure that she was still alive, that she was still, did still have possibilities and, and, and could still exist beyond this world that she had found herself in. Um, and deciding to, stick to that, deciding to stick to discovering human connection meant that she did survive. So, as I say, you do kind of weight the dice in her favour because we're going yeah. to be sympathetic to her. So, yeah. 
Uh, and yet, and yet, I mean, uh, there is sympathy, isn't there, for Annie, who is yeah. the name of the camp commandant's wife. But again, you, you, again, you do weight the dice against her by saying that, well, she doesn't really respond to her children, she's got lots of help yeah. with them, and then you yeah. paint a picture of this warm Jewish family, and then we, yeah. we know that it's been destroyed. So it, yeah. it, it's hard that, I mean, I, I think you've got to um, all hail your two performers who actually... Yeah keeping the balance, because to me, it would, yeah. you'd think it was so weighted in favour of Isabella, but yet she's quite cruel, I suppose. I think she has to be in order to survive, yeah. doesn't she? So that is that yeah. your way of weighting the dice back again? Um, well, I think it's, it's why does Isabella have to be... Why should Isabella be anything other than cruel? She's only known cruelty for the past six years, so why do we expect her to be, um, you know, the, the classic heroine? Um, she's not a classic heroine. She is a survivor. And in order to survive, you do, you know, one of the lines in the play is when you fight for your life, everything is excusable, don't you think? So um, why should that only ever be what we expect it to be? It's not. It's always com Survival is always complicated. Um, and I think it would be unfair of me to paint her as someone that always made the so-called right decision and always was morally correct. Um, because... I don't believe that is what you do when you're pushed. Mm. Um, and with Annie, uh, I wanted to show, um, you know, the Nazis wanted wives to be uh, very good wives. They wanted them to stay at home. They wanted them to have lots of children. I mean, if you had more than four children, your tax was less. Um, and uh, they wanted them to be supportive. And they pushed and they pushed and they pushed that and they stopped women being anything other than the wife of someone. And I, I hope that that shows how damaging that can be and how women can aspire to be more than that. And Annie is the outcome of, uh, of a government that didn't allow women to be free, that didn't give women a place other than by a man. Yeah, I did have sympathy for her, but... Uh... As I, as I say, I think something to, that is to do with the way the two, your two performers play. Ruth Gemmell helps us to find our sympathy for Annie, our empathy for Annie. And uh, Ruth Spence isn't afraid, as I said, of, of being cruel. Not to be kind, mm. but to survive, like you say. Mm. So, um, yeah. so the, the other major, major element in this play is that it's a play of dance movement, perpetual movement almost. But Lucy Cullingford's your movement director, and she's got a job because she's got to make a dancer out of Isabella. And, yeah. Um, I don't know if Emma Betts is a trained dancer, but I, I was happy to buy into that. So there's, Good. <laughs> so there's that <laughs> element. And then you've got this beautiful extra element. In case anyone was missing men in this story, Frederick doesn't appear except being embodied by the women, and we'll talk about that in a second. But um, you've got your cellist as well, and he's a composer. He's composed the music. Yeah. So that, that's a planet and, and beautiful thread, isn't it? Elliot Rennie is your fantastic cellist, but it, it's important probably that it's his own composition, isn't it? To yeah. be part of the creative process. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Um. We, we we did toy with having... Well, we had some staple um, tunes and then we built on top of them and he created his own themes. But um, we didn't just want to give you, like, classic cello, beautiful, gorgeous cello. We wanted to mess it up a bit. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think... I hope the play isn't very literal and it doesn't... You know, it's always a bit 
you're never quite sure where you are maybe at the beginning but then with the chairlift and the movement in some aspects you get that darkness um of the time without me hammering it into you by the writing mm. um and i think that's where a lot of elliot got his ideas um from for the uh, music that he composed yes well as, as well you talk about darkness literally you place your women in a fairly dark set of isolation just with this jagged light yeah. um sort of almost like a dotted line isn't it yeah, going across yeah. it so I mean is that part of that picture I mean yeah I think so I think um um you know I could have written a play where um it, the play did it all you know and it told you how hard it was and how nasty it was and how horrific it was and it was upsetting and it was intense and uh and then imagine me writing that with the lighting, the music and the movement and the sound, it would just be too much and it would shut the audience off. So we had to try and find a way of letting the audience connect and understand and feel and be in the story while not neglecting the time of the story. So that's where that's why theatre is amazing and why, because you can bring in all those other elements to complete it. So the audience are listening to something some maybe poetic at, at times, which is lovely to listen to, and then they've got a screeching cello in the background. So you're you're con connecting to something that sounds nice, but there's something unnerving underneath you, uh, which lets you know that this isn't meant to be nice. Mm. Um, yeah, well, as I said, I, th I think we can see past nice, thank thanks to yeah. all the elements. <laughs> um, there, there's another really interesting element in that the women speak across each other, they sort of pick up... I mean, I know they're supposed to be being interrogated by the allies, allies after the war, who yeah. presumably try to find out exactly who they are and where they belong and whether they deserve sympathy. But um, yeah. they pick up on each other all the time. And, of course, they, they sort of play Frederick, don't they? I mean, we sort of get to see him and hear him a bit, don't we? Yeah. Mm. So so that, that, you know, it could be confusing, but I think I was fairly clear... Um, thanks to the writing and the performance. So tell me a little bit about that, because that adds to this slightly surreal element, but it brings yeah. the women so close. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, th that uh, what you just said there about bringing the women close is really exciting. You know, they're so... Um, I like that idea. They never really meet, but they're always rubbing against each other. Um, and also, when I first started writing it, uh, he became a really important part of the story. Frederick. Did mm. it, Frederick, yes, mm. but I just didn't want to have a man in the play and um, I didn't want to uh, hear his voice. But I thought it would be really interesting to hear his voice through the women's voice and also that he had the same conversations with both women that um, he didn't treat them differently. It's how the women interpreted what he said. And so it's, you know, about memory, how you remember things. Isabella remembers him being quite soft and gentle and, and upset. And Annie remembers him being horrible and stern. Yet the conversations are very, very similar. Um, and I think that's all about memory and what we choose to remember and what we need to remember or what we choose to forget um, and how we interpret it. Right, well, that sort of brings me back to the beginning in that you did say that you 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 have spoken to survivors and obviously that would be a very important thing to do. but as, And that's so obviously you're keying into their memories, which I guess remain... Well, I know remain vivid because they recount them all the time. 
Um, I, my, my, the oldest survivor I ever spoke to died at the age of 111, I think, wow. Alice Hertz Sommer. Wow. But from the repetition of her story, she had it perfectly. She did say it yeah. the same way every time, but the memory was there every time. Yeah. So I expect yeah. you found that. So I just wanted to finish, though, by going back to what inspired you just the same? Some, was it was there one thing that, that brought on this play that is to do with the Holocaust? Was it, or did you have the idea and then put it into the Holocaust? Um, it's really boring, but my, me and my dad um, had a book club between both of us. Well, me and my dad used to dream about this period in history where we were both either playing in our dreams we were either Jews or we were Nazis and we both had this reoccurring dream and we spoke about it and I was like my god dad you have the same dream and he was like yes and then we decided to start just reading about this period of time for the past 10 years we've just been exchanging books back and forth so um and my grandfather wrote a book on the Polish ghetto so it's kind of really been in my family and um I and that really was just the inspiration. It was just I know a lot about it, and um, I'm going to try and write a story about it because what I always found fascinating when reading about it was how people survived and what made them survive, and I wanted to understand. Um, I I wanted to understand. I always think that if I was in that situation, I wouldn't be able to. Uh, think about my family, think about music, think about dance, think about anything good. I would just need to shut down. But it's amazing when you read and listen to survivors, they say that those are the only things that kept them going. Yeah, exactly. Alice said exactly that. She was, she yeah. was, a, she was a concert pianist. And yes, so you, yeah. and that playing and the camp and listening to other people playing, you're so right. It, it is strange. Though, I mean, I don't think that you said it was a boring explanation. It's an, quite an extraordinary and as spooky as your play in a way you and your dad having the same dream and you're you're not actually jewish yourself not no no, no. None, not your father no blood no nothing no. oh island we're catholic wow uh. right okay well that i think that leaves us with an enormous amount to ponder and should make anyone want to go and see your play with with extra insight Explain the mission statement of your um, company and how it fits in with the play. Small things, is that right? Yeah, the small things. It's about the small things. I remember watching, the reason I came up with the idea of the um, the name of the company is I remember watching After the Dance with Benedict Cumberbatch at the National and there's a moment when his wife finds out he's having an affair and um, she uh, says something to him and she looks at him and then she goes behind the curtain and then you know as soon as she's gone behind the curtain that she's going to jump off and she's going to die and it was so small she just just the way that she looks at him and what you can do there just tells a thousand things a thousand, you know you know instantly that someone's going to kill themselves just by one look mm. and i think that is really I think it's incredible when you can see that on stage because it means there is a real clear analysis of that character and of that human and the writing and what the writer is trying to do. And I hope that we tried to do that um, in No Place for a Woman. Thank you so much for speaking to me. It's been a... No, thank you. Thank you so much.